Grace, mercy, and peace be yours from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Who is my neighbor? A man once asked Jesus that question. Who is my neighbor? This man had presumably listened to Jesus' teachings about the Father's gracious will for salvation, now revealed in Christ Jesus. The 72 that we heard about last week, the 72 that Jesus had sent out on their mission trip, they had now returned back. They were rejoicing in the Father's will that many had heard the gospel word with faith and had received salvation on account of such faith. The man who asked the question was a student of the law. He understood biblical law. He was an expert on what we now know as the first five books of the Bible. And so he thought that there must be more to this thing called eternal life, more than what Jesus is talking about. There must be some work by which we might be declared righteous in God's sight. Sound familiar? There has to be something that we have to do, Jesus. And he was able to tell Jesus all about the law. I don't know if you caught that. Just like Jesus, he was able to summarize the entire Decalogue, that's the Ten Commandments, by citing just two verses. He's quoted Deuteronomy chapter 6, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he quoted our Old Testament passage for today, Leviticus 19. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. He put the two together. He passed with flying colors. Jesus asked him about his knowledge of the commandments, and this guy knocked it out of the park. He knew his Ten Commandments. He went to the small catechism class. And then Jesus said, Do this, and you will live. Do this, and you will live. Now, here's where the problem comes in. Rather than letting God's law be God's law, the lawyer wanted to move the goalposts with the intention of earning eternal life. He wanted to justify himself. That is, he wanted to earn righteousness for himself such that God would accept him based on his own merits. He wanted to make God's law something that can be kept by a poor, sinful being. So he asked the question, who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells him a story. And it's a story that I would bet that most of you, if not all of you, are familiar with. There's a man who is traveling the dangerous, the, the dangerous 17-mile stretch from Jericho to Jerusalem or from Jerusalem to Jericho. The road was a haven for pirates, for robbers, for criminals who would often attack the travelers. They would attack them, they would pillage them, and they would take them for all that they were worth. And this was the fate of the man in the story. He was caught between the robbers. He was unable to go anywhere. He was victimized by their brutality. After stripping him and taking everything from him, the robbers left him for dead. Imagine with me for a moment how it might have been the victim laying there on the scorching desert road. Can you imagine? Think about the heat that's going on right now. Can you imagine laying on a dry, dusty road in this stuff right now? 
Think about him perhaps feeling through the dust on the road, trying to look for his teeth, trying not to choke on his own blood. And he must have been thinking in that moment, who is my neighbor? After hours of lying there, he spotted a temple priest walking toward him. And perhaps the man on the road tried to call for help, but his tongue stuck to the roof of his mouth. And his hope of rescue was quickly extinguished as the priest passed by him on the other side of the road. An hour later, our victim, now with the shakes, now faint with heat exhaustion, thought it was a miracle whenever he saw a Levite coming his way. Maybe the priest had too many affairs to deal with. He's a a busy man. He has duties at the temple, but maybe this Levite will help me. No such luck. The Levite passed by him on the other side of the road as well, leaving the victim completely alone and without a shred of hope. If there was ever a time he needed a neighbor, he needed one now. But it seemed that it wasn't going to happen. For him, the only thing left to do was to succumb to his wounds. It was to breathe his last and to give up his spirit. But that was not to be his fate. A half-blood foreigner, a man from Samaria, got to him before he was lost for good. The Samaritan asked himself that question. Who is my neighbor? He said, who is my neighbor? And so whenever he sees the helpless man on the road, he goes to him in response. He goes to where the victim was. He saw him and he had compassion. He acted decisively as he peeled the man off the ground, as he wiped the blood off of his face, and as he wiped the dust off of his clothes, he began to treat the victim's wounds by applying oil and wine. These were two very common items in those days. They were used in temple rites, but they were also uh, available in households as cleansing agents. He applied the oil and the wine. He set him on his donkey while he walked out in front, leading this donkey down miles and miles and miles of arduous stretch of road. Dusty, hot, dry, dangerous road. He took him to an inn, a place where he could take rest and refuge from the dangers of the road. The Samaritan saw the helpless estate of the traveler on the road and he was so moved in that moment to just forsake everything for the sake of his neighbor. He even went so far as to pay for all the accommodations at the inn that he brought the man to. And he even promised to bring more upon his return. Now back to our lawyer. He asked Jesus the question, didn't he? Who is my neighbor? And he wanted to justify himself. That is, he wanted to be proven righteous in the sight of Jesus. And in response to the question, Jesus tells him this story. And now that he's at the end, Jesus turns the question on his head. He says, who proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Who was it? And the lawyer finally had his answer. He said, the one who proved to be a neighbor was he who had mercy. He who had mercy. You see, 
Though he was an expert in biblical law, Jesus was showing him that his neighbor was not only the victim in the story, but his neighbor was also the good Samaritan who proved to be a neighbor. In Jewish culture, Samaritans were hated for their unauthorized worship practices and for their impure bloodline. And so the lawyer had to admit through gritted teeth that the Samaritan was the one who was a neighbor. Notice he didn't even use the word Samaritan. He said, he who had mercy. But Jesus repeated his command nonetheless. He said, you go and do likewise. Just try and be the Samaritan. Try. What Jesus wanted to show the lawyer and what he wanted to show us with this story, that the righteousness that justifies does not reside within the lawyer. It does not reside within us, but it resides in someone else, an outsider, a stranger, he who had mercy. How often do we try to justify ourselves before Jesus? How often? How often do we try to justify ourselves in the eyes of the world? All the time. All the time. It speaks to our greatest need. We need to be justified. Meaning we need to be declared righteous. We need to be counted not guilty. And we even need to be called good. And we play the same game that the lawyer played with Jesus. We try to move the goalposts on what counts as righteousness so that it becomes something that we can attain ourselves and hold up before God so that he will be impressed with us. We desperately want to be seen as good people. We want something meaningful to go on our headstone. At our funeral, we want people to go on and on and on with their eulogies. That's what we want. We hope that our good works are just enough, just enough, so that on the day we are judged, God is obligated to let us into his kingdom. What must I do to inherit eternal life? That's the default creed that we live by. That's what the lawyer asked Jesus in the beginning. What must I do to inherit eternal life? That's called works righteousness. Works righteousness. And because this works righteousness is the air that we breathe, we ask the same question. We ask Who is my neighbor? But only with the intention of doing the bare minimum. Hopefully our neighbor isn't anyone that we dislike, especially someone from the opposing political party, because then we would be in trouble. But if it's someone that I like, well then I've got a pretty decent shot at keeping the law, don't I? We hear the parable of the Good Samaritan often as a motivational speech so that we too can become the Good Samaritan if we try hard enough. And Jesus may let us live under that delusion for a while. He seemed content to let the lawyer walk away. He may let us live with that understanding for a while, but in the end, we come to find that we don't measure up. Who is my neighbor? Everybody that I come into contact with? Yep. And you mean that I am to love them all? Indeed. Even the ones that I can't stand? Especially those. 
This is the demand of God's law. These are the goalposts that don't shift and that don't move, no matter how hard you and I will try. And like the times whenever you look into the rearview mirror in your car and you see all of those imperfections, you see all of those eyebrows that need to be plucked, you see all the pock marks from the acne from whenever you were a teenager, God's law looks back at you and you realize not only your imperfections and the things that you wish you could change, but you also realize that you are dead in sins and trespasses. As we've confessed this morning, it was one of the first things we did. We confessed we have not loved God with our whole heart, nor have we loved our neighbor as ourselves. You have no righteousness of your own, nothing good that dwells in you, and even the good deeds that you do, they are tainted with selfish intentions. You're not the good Samaritan, after all. Can you breathe a sigh of relief? You are the helpless man in the street waiting for a rescuer, waiting for a neighbor, one who will have mercy on you. There is a good Samaritan for you. There is one who saw you in your helpless condition, dead in sins. There is one who was moved into action on your behalf. There is a stranger from a foreign land who became your neighbor by leaving his throne, by taking on your flesh, being born under the law and fulfilling it perfectly because you and I never could. There is one who ensured that you would not succumb to the wounds of Satan, sin, and death by, get this, becoming a victim for you. By being caught between two robbers on the cross. Being nailed there for you. Being nailed there for your failure to love God and to love your neighbor. And in his suffering for your sins, he eventually succumbed to his wounds. He breathed his last. He gave up his spirit, not having a good Samaritan of his own. Not even his heavenly father would step in at that point. And the good Samaritan did for you what you could never do for yourself. He was raised. He rose again from the dead having been justified before the world by his Father so that you may be declared righteous in God's sight. The attempt to self-justify is over. There is one who has justified you once and for all. And not only has this neighbor rescued you from certain eternal death, and declared you righteous on account of his own work, but he has begun to heal your wounds of sin and self-justification. He has applied the oil of gladness to you in your baptism, sealing you with the Holy Spirit. Every Sunday, he feeds you with the wine that is his true blood here at the Lord's table and gives to you healing for your sin, the medicine of immortality. He has not left you to wander the dusty, dangerous streets of this life on your own, but he has brought you into the safety of the Holy Christian Church where you are to be cared for and nourished in this faith as you recover from the attacks of the evil one. This good Samaritan has seen to it that all of your expenses are covered. They are covered completely and he has paid for your place in his kingdom. 
And he promises to come back for you one day, bringing full healing, restoration, peace, and comfort. You will no longer be a victim of sin and the devil because they will be gone forever. Who am I talking about, friends? Who is the Good Samaritan? Jesus. This Good Samaritan is Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, the crucified and risen One who has fulfilled the law for you so that you would not be condemned, but that you would be granted everlasting life. And as He has granted you faith through the Holy Spirit, He now fulfills the law in you. And through you, as you are now united to Christ and He is working in your life, as you love and serve your neighbors, Christ is working through you. You see, now you're never going to think of this question the same again. We've been asking the question, who is my neighbor? You will never think of this the same way. Now when you ask yourself, who is my neighbor? you have a new answer in addition to your old one. Your neighbor is he who had mercy. There is only one who has shown you this kind of mercy. Only one who is righteous. The only one who loves you more than you ever dared hope. It's Jesus Christ, your merciful Redeemer, your precious Savior, your neighbor. So may the Holy Spirit guard you in this one true faith until the Lord returns as he has promised. Amen.